But this one night, I can, cane toads is pretty new to me. You don't have any cane toads in New South Wales. Mm -hmm. They don't they don't really squash. They just squish. So I've slipped on one in the dark <laughs> while running along, <laughs> hit the deck, got up, dusted myself off. This cane toad just like popped up and jumped off. So I got to the clinic all wet and dirty. But by the time I got to the clinic, I opened up the door and the people were like, oh, oh, now we're all right. Are you dirty. okay? Well, I was dirty. So that sort of, you know, it was like, oh, what would you call for? How desperate was it? You know, sort of thing. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So you treat them and then you go back and just dust yourself off. and welcome to a Nurse Outwear podcast. My name is Danielle Corza and I have been a rural and remote nurse for most of my career. I created this podcast as an opportunity to explore and celebrate and perhaps spark some interest in rural and remote nursing. Each week we will meet with some of the extraordinary nurses who live and work in rural and remote areas across Australia as they tell their story about all that is beautiful and unique to rural and remote nursing. So join with me as we explore the stories from a nurse out where. Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of a nurse out where. Um, this is the second time I've had to do this and I feel really privileged to have my next guest um, come visit me at my home while they're out on holidays. Um, so we're recording this one face to face again, which is pretty cool. Um, now, this guy started in 2001 at Cooler Court in Wagga um, in New South Wales as an AIN and then applied for a trainee enrolled nurse program. He started as an enrolled nurse at St George Hospital and then took off overseas to the UK to do a bit of travelling and nursing while he was over there for the next couple of years. He then came back to Sydney to start a Bachelor of Nursing and while working as an EN, he finished his degree and then started working at St Vincent's Hospital as a registered nurse in the emergency department where he worked for the next five years. Since then, he's worked in various roles across New South Wales, Queensland and the Northern Territory and obviously up into the rural and remote sector. So welcome, Geordie White. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, very cool. I'm, I feel really pleased that you've come <laughs> to visit me and we're able to do this face-to-face. -face. Yeah, finally, after 30 emails and <laughs> badging, I've, I've, I've eventually come along. <laughs> All right. So as you know, the podcast is called A Nurse Out Where. So from your perspective, can you finish the sentence, you're a nurse out where? I am currently a nurse out where in West Arnhem, in uh, Maningrida, working with the Aboriginal Health Service, Malala um, Aboriginal Health. Um, this year, they transitioned from uh, government, Northern Territory government, into the Aboriginal Health Service. Um, and I've come along to support the transition which has been quite a journey in the last six months, um, including getting uh, like a GP approval, you know, they got their accreditation within that six months as well, mm -hmm. um, which is quite a big feat for any NGO to do. Usually it takes a long time to get that point, but yeah, it's come along. It's one of the biggest services, um, Main Greta, just a little plug. Yeah. It's got uh, 19 nurses full-time. Okay. Uh, four full-time doctors and it's the biggest Aboriginal community in the NT outside of Catherine with three and a half thousand population roughly. Yeah, wow. So it's quite a big service. 
so there's, there's plenty of staff and plenty of support around. Um, so just for people who are listening, so you're in the Northern Territory and Arnhem Land is just off the side of, um, off Darwin, so at the top end of the Northern Territory, yeah? Yeah, so if you're looking at Darwin, you look um, to the east, pretty much all of that is Arnhem Land and there's the build up in Western, West Central and East. Um, where I live, it's about five hours drive five and a half hours drive from Darwin um, during the dry season. And in wet season, it's closed off to six months because of the waters. Yeah. Um, everyone would know Cahill's Crossing or would have heard of it. We have to we have to drive through that. Yeah. Past all the crocodiles to go and get That's to. where, yeah, where all the crocodiles lay yeah. on the on the crossing on the river yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And you can literally you drive through and the water's probably about 50 centimetres deep and there, there could be 50 crocodiles sitting there and you just yeah. drive across the road. So and wanna... it's safe to do that? Uh, yeah, I, I feel it's safe. You're in a car. I mean, okay. they're not jumping at you like they're going to pop you out of the car. But, yeah. You know. you got to do it at certain times because it's tidal, right? It is tidal. It's tidal, especially during the wet season when it starts to drop off and the, the rivers are going lower, lower. There is only certain times of the day you can cross over and then yeah. during dry season you cross over all the time. Yeah, okay. And most people would go to visit that area because of Jabiru, it's so close, so... That's where you go. Jabiru is um, another little community over there. Yeah, Jabiru is the, the the tourist destination place that people go, and then in Kakadu that, National in, Park. Yeah, in Kakadu. Yeah, okay. So then you'd have to get um, to get to Manningreeta or those other uh, East Arnhem sort of communities, even to work in. You need a the uh, Northern Man Council pass. So you just yeah. you need permission to come onto those Indigenous lands. Yeah, you do. Right. Yeah. Even to fly into them. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. So, wow, very cool. That's it. Sounds like a really cool place to be. So why, why did you want to go rural and remote? You know, you worked in ED at St Vincent's in the centre of Sydney and then decided you wanted to go remote? Like, what was your interest there? I suppose after 15 years of nursing, everything from being a role nurse to travelling overseas and coming back and working in ED, you start to feel like it's a... Some rotating door, especially in ED, you get the same things over and over from the city. So you want to go on that adventure. You want to be outside of it. And um, remote nursing for me has provided that outside aspect that I really like. You always think on the inside, you do eight shift and you won't see daylight, or you do a twelve-hour shift, shift and you won't go out. Yeah. So then, in the you do primary healthcare, you you're out in the cars, going to catch up with people in their homes. You you're doing emergencies like you're in in the retrieval vehicle going out to could be rivers or creeks or homelands or going to someone's house and retrieving from the house um you're doing a little bit more holistic you do a lot more holistic care i mean the transition from emergency nurse to primary health care was difficult because everything is not an emergency yeah. as you you know people have quite severe chronic conditions that you don't realize so it's um, that transition was difficult, but it it did. It now gives me a much more rounded education in my nursing. You know, my skills have increased exponentially. You know, I've got my ED skills, which I've got. Um, previously, um, I was a dialysis nurse in a, in a in a previous time as well, so that's helped out a lot. There's a lot of renal failure, diabetes yeah, okay. is quite rife in um, you know, so it's quite prominent in the remote Indigenous communities. Yeah. Um, and then learning about tropical disease things we just don't get here in the southern states. You, most people would not have ever heard of rheumatic heart disease. 
uh, otitis media, which is an ear infection that causes a lot of the top end uh, mob or indigenous to become deaf. You know, yeah. these ear infections are lots of things that you don't learn about when you're in a, a major city, Yeah, which you do, like it's your bread and butter. Yeah, know. yeah. So it's that, that whole, you know, the depth and breadth of all of your skills and, you know, yeah, as you say, that that whole holistic nursing, the the, the whole person. The whole person, yeah. Yeah, rather than an occasion of service. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like you don't, like I never, most of my career has been adult nursing. One of the first days in the clinic was like, all right, you're working with kids today. And I was like, kids, it's like, are they running? Or are they little people. Little people. So learning how to just work with little people was challenging. You know, you just don't have to deal with it. Like they can't speak to you. You can't tell, you know, all these sort of things you've got to learn on the job. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so it's, it's, been, it's been really good, really good doing that sort of stuff. And, and you start to build... I'm going down the rabbit hole, but yeah, the reason I went remote is because I just wanted a bit more of a challenge yeah. um, and a bit more, a bit more of an adventure. Definitely, you know, even talking about Chaos Crossing, that that itself is like could be a, like a bucket list for someone. Yeah, and I've crossed it six times this year, and now it's just crossing it. I just don't forget to cross just it. Just to and from work. To and from yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. Got to go to Darwin to do a big shop and come back. That's what you do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you're, you're right, you know, a lot of people, you know, their bucket list is to, to do um, the, um, the PDR up in Cape York, like to travel that road. And mm. when, when, you know, you and I both lived and worked up in, in Cape York, you know, that was something that you did all the time. Oh. And even as you say, like going to Kakadu or going to Jabiru and Cape mm. Crossing and seeing all the crocodiles there, that's something that people... That's their that's their holiday bucket list. Yeah, and that that's your every day. It's every day, just or every year. Like you get, just talk about um, like Arakoon or the Cape. You know, when you live in Arakoon, you're like, oh, it's so remote. It's two hours from Weeper. It's there's a lot more remote places. Two hours drive. In four hours or five hours, you can be at the tip of the Cape, at the top of Australia. Standing and, next to the sign yeah, that people dream that, of. You can do that every other weekend. Yeah. You know, and the, you know, fruit back, all these things that you can go and do that you wouldn't have an opportunity to buy. Like it would have to be a, a planned four week holiday from Sydney, you know, and you know, four or six weeks. You, it's, the constraints of, of tertiary hospitals with leave is, is difficult. Uh, and over the years, you can see it's getting worse. It is particularly hard in remote communities that the staffing so just like everywhere else, but we, we can make arrangements around that. You can there are, there is a lot of support for that sort of thing. Yeah, mm. yeah, cool, cool. So you know, as a nurse, we're bound by the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Free Board of Australia's policies on professional standards, which includes confidentiality. So just keep that in mind. But have you got a fond memory or a tale to tell of your time working in remote? I've got a few, but I, I know what you like. So <laughs> when I first got to Arakoon, it was wet season coming up. Oh, it was just at the end of wet season in February. And um, there's a couple of the other um, storytellers from here I've worked with, I know. Yeah. In Arakoon, you've got to, you, the houses are really close to the clinic. And we used to have to get a call, you go out for the call on the, for your night shift, you go out and see the patients. But this one night, I could, Cane toads is pretty new to me. You don't have any cane toads in New South Wales. Mm -hmm. They don't they don't really squash, they just squish. 
So I've slipped on one in the dark while running along, <laughs> hit the deck, got up, dusted myself off. This cane toad just like popped up and jumped off. So I got to the clinic all wet and dirty. But by the time I got to the clinic, I opened up the door and the people were like, oh, oh no, we we're all right. Was Are dirty. you okay? Well, I was dirty. So that sort of, you know, it was like, oh, what would you call for? How desperate was it? You know, sort of thing. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So you treat them and then you go back and just dust yourself off. But just dealing with like weather and rain is constant, you know, the wet season. And then you got, I was in uh, Ramming Guinea in uh, Northern Territory, so it's East Arnhem. Mm -hmm. I spent a fair bit of time there, probably 17 or 18 months. Um, it's quite, yeah, it's a beautiful place. Same sort of weird situation. You've got to go out into into your retrieval vehicle to go to the house. You go to the house and you can't get the trolley into the house to get people out of because the, the new trolleys are too big. You know, but I'm talking about the, what's it called? The, the striker the, yeah, stretches. The new stretches yep. are difficult to get in the house. So the only thing I could do was get a wheelchair. So they put this woman on a wheelchair who was oversized, you would say, for the wheelchair. Um, but I couldn't get the car in the spot. So it was easier for me, the other driver, to drive back and me just to wheelchair the person, <laughs> okay, down the road, but I was running. <laughs> so I'm running down the road with this person in a wheelchair. I get there and my mate Warwick's there and he's another remote nurse who works at St Vinny's. He's there with doing sepsis. So we've both got sepsis running and he's just yelling at me, what are you giving me? This is ridiculous. I'm like, well, she's sick. We'll need to fix this. Yeah. <laughs> so it was all like... Like you got acute sepsis, a crazy, crazy ass nurse running down the road who's six foot tall and like 105 kilos with half the town looking at him. Why is he running with what the woman he, in the wheelchair? Where are they going? Yeah, I just, <laughs> and then they, you know, things like that. You know, there's things you, you can't, you know, you can't really fathom. Whole football teams turning up to clinics because someone's fainted on the football field and they've been cursed and you're trying to work out if they've oh. cursed or actually fainted. Oh, so the way to work that out is if is if when they lay there they're looking at everyone else because they want to see if everyone's watching them because they can throw a game in football. Oh, okay. Secrets, secrets. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but you can usually disperse a crowd pretty well. You get really good at communication. Uh-huh. Really good uh, communication. Talking to huge crowds, talking to even when you don't speak the language or multiple different languages. You know, Man and Greta's got 13 different language groups. Like, oh, wow. So English isn't their first language? English is definitely not okay. first language. They do teach it, but it's they, they learn multiple languages before they go to school, and then schooling requires or from our curriculum to teach English, and English is difficult if they don't speak it regularly at home. Yeah. Um, but that's how it is. Um, one of my probably biggest experiences uh, was... I became after going to Arakeen as a as a as a first time. I came back and managed in the clinic, um, and I made a mistake. Uh, there was a, a protocol at the clinic which was in the old clinic before it was updated. Um, and this is I've come back and it's been updated, like you know, new building work. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a death in the community requires the deceased person to be rolled down on the trolley so the community. Um, can see that person and say their goodbyes. And the way to do that is to roll them out the front. The ambulance will come from around the back and put them into the morgue. Yep. 
Um, so they, so the patient comes, the deceased patient comes out the front, out the front to of the, a crowd of people to, all yep, assembling crowd. around there. Yeah, so it's sort of like a massive wake. Right. There's, there's okay. the, you know, each sort of immediately after they're passed. Immediately after they're passed. Right. Depends on how the person passed away, whether it was in their home or it was, if it was in the clinic. You know, there's there's a smoking ceremony and things associated with that. The mistake I made was because the ambulance was now in the back of the clinic and it used to sit in the front, so it was very yeah. straightforward. You go outside the ambulance system. I just they said put the patient in the ambulance, yeah. which was out the back, and I drove them out, put him into the into the morgue. So what that meant, and Arapin is a they're a passionate people about their, their, their protocols. They got the, the crowd got quite wild uh, and there was a, a risk of like a riot. Um, so how do you handle that? What do you, so, what do, you do with that? So I went out not outside because I couldn't work out what was going on. I did what I was told. Yeah. Um, and I just apologised profusely for doing wrong. Yeah. And I fixed it by going and get the deceased back out. Yep. Brought them back in through the clinic around the front so that then and spoke to the elders and any of the senior persons of that deceased person. Yeah. And that just created a sense of calm. Okay, now we can say goodbye. Yeah. Um, but this also created a lot of other like a cascade of events. Okay, well, what are we doing in our service to make sure that things these things don't happen again? So we make sure that we had all those things. Like documented for the next person that comes along, that it could never, it would always be done this way. So you develop like a procedure or a work instruction yeah. from that, so the next manager would know that yeah. that's the yeah. they're, they're the protocols of community. That's right. So a lot of things come out of that. Um, so like the, the palliative care for the service came out of that. How that's managed, mm -hmm. um, you know, dying on country. You know that everyone sort of talks about it, wanting death at home. So. Um, the CNCs, we work with the CNCs and the um, other staff to support the community in actually staying at home and, and doing extra services and health in the home sort of stuff rather than sending people to Cairns and being quite proactive in our advocate for that sort of palliation. Mm -hmm. And then those other policies around funeral services in the community. Yeah. So, and then that sort of, that was all going well and then COVID sort of hit, so things had to change around that, but I think they were they managed quite well in that sort of, not we had any deaths in COVID at the time. But And is, is that a common thing, Geordie, in Indigenous communities, like in other Indigenous communities or other remote communities? Is that something that um, they have kind of unwritten laws of protocols of? Yeah, so... so you know, How do you find that information? So it's usually, the, there's usually a senior health worker or a, a senior member of... Of community that would have been involved in the health service at the start. Um, some places don't have senior health workers or some places have managers who are local indigenous or um, whatnot. Um, so the way that in, in, in East Arnhem they can still bury in their homelands, whereas in, no, in Queensland know. they have um, they have cemeteries, plots, and that just because of the way that things have changed over the years. So you know, in Arakoon, they'll have a proper funeral service and they'll go and get buried at the cemetery. You go to Arnhem Land and it could take months because they've got to sort out where the person is, the deceased person is going to be buried, whether it's on a homeland, they could get buried in um, the, the family's backyard. Oh, um, wow. So, and that's a decision based on the father, I think, from, from some places. And then there's a bit of toing and throwing and they have ceremonies around that, you know, 
dances and and whatnot that they need to do. So in in Northern Territory, it, it can be drawn out funeral services because it takes so long to get, you know, they prefer people to deceased to go to the funeral service in Darwin and then to come back when they're all ready for the funeral services. Right. In Queensland and Arakoon, um, they would, if they died in the town, then they would come and be, they could be prepared here at the, or at the clinic, you know, go to the morgue, the council's got some coffins and relatively the funeral service happens fairly immediately. So it can happen in a few weeks because they're just like, okay, it's time to get on with it. Yeah. Um, so what's your role as a nurse in that? Like what is your, you know, if, if you're not necessarily the manager, but as a, a nurse working in the clinic, is it just, you know, working closely with the health workers and understanding what those protocols are so that you can support the families through that? Yeah, so the, it, it, a good orientation to the funeral services, mm-hmm. like how it how it's run. Um, predominantly, it's difficult because they prefer the males to handle the bodies depending on the age of the person. So regardless of if the deceased is male or female, it's yeah, generally, generally managed male, by the males? Males, yeah. Right. Unless it's a specific request. So like, oh, the females are coming in, the only females do it, okay. depending on which... Um, the age of the person so we did have a young person die and they had only females doing it okay um whereas in my general experience it's been males that do it so, um it can be challenging if you've only got female nurses on doing yeah. male work so um the role of that is just to give the family access to the morgue um you know knowing how to get the key for the hearse when they're going to use it being respective in the best way you can, which is sort of being out of the way and making sure they don't hurt themselves. Because, you know, a more can be quite uh, just ensuring that they know how to use the trolleys right, stuff like that, rather than lifting their backs and trying to pull out a, a coffin out of the yeah. food just can be quite difficult. So from that point of view, it's it's OH and S and things like that, but being able to be respectful is, is the major thing around any funeral. I know, assume that would happen in any family sort of deceased, even in ours, you know, like someone passed away in front of you. Yeah. You know, it's just about respect. Um, and I guess that's something, um, you know, as a, like in Western culture, um, you may not be exposed to those kinds of things. So I guess if you're going remote, you just need to be aware and, and sort of have those conversations. So I guess, you know, even you talking about it today, mm. um, that's, you know, bringing awareness to people who might be interested in rural and remote just to be, um, I guess ready for those kinds of things that might come. Definitely, because you, you don't generally do that when you work in a metro hospital. You wouldn't really have anything to do once they're deceased. It would sort of become someone else's. Yeah, so you in a metro hospital, if someone died, the family would be there. Hopefully, generally, the family are always here in community. Yeah, um, hearing of a death can be like a car driving around town, bipping the horn, and be like, "What's that about?" And then you sort of learn that that's a communication to the whole town that there has been a, a death right and some places have a hearing ceremony so you won't know who's passed away and the family of the people will know and they'll call everyone to the house and half the town can be waiting yeah and then at a certain time they'll tell you who's passed away and then the whole town will just start to mourn and they're crying and throwing around and lots of other strange practices would seem quite strange to anyone that's from you know western culture um screaming banging themselves so there's a lot of and that's and that's 
that's a show of the more you hurt yourself, the more respect you have, yeah. which can be exaggerated to the point where people come in with head injuries, big cuts on their arms. You know, right, cause, so cause they, they might wanna, be... They want to feel the pain as well, that the pain is coming from the deceased in the family. So they represent that by big cuts, head bashing on on sharp objects, throwing themselves on the ground. And, you, you know, you could have a 90 or eight-year-old woman literally throwing themselves on the ground. Wow. So there's a lot of being aware not to stop that, but trying to manage that yeah. in a way that it's not out of control. Yeah. Um, younger people tend to be a lot more overt in it and mm -hmm. screaming at you, but it's also a way of them releasing sorrow, mm -hmm. you know, if you wail and scream when you're really upset, happy, unhappy and sad, it's, it is a way of releasing that sort of energy and it does make them, they do say that they feel a lot better. So you it. might get those secondary presentations of, Definitely. you know, families or other community members coming and presenting with injuries, injuries related to, to a death. their wailing yeah. or yeah, their mourning the ceremonies morning that they have. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So this, I know it seems quite disjointed in the conversation, but yeah, that's a, death in in communities with a high incidence of chronic disease and comorbidities you're going to see it yeah and being knowing the protocols is difficult just asking and people are willing to tell you you know if you're um if it's your first time in a community come remote and you don't know anything you're like oh can i walk around here is it safe you know just ask all those questions people will give you all the information it's their town they want you to respect their their ways it's like yeah. It's like going somewhere else's backyard. You sort of ask where things are. You just don't do what you think's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah wow. Yeah, very cool. So you know, you've worked in a lot of um, really remote and really isolated areas. So, what are some of the things that you miss when you're working in a rural and remote area? What I'm working in, I, I miss I miss my my bulk of friends that I've trained with. You know, like I miss the the big team at mm -hmm. St Vincent's. And then I don't miss them, you know. It's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit like so that. If any of them are listening. Yeah. You know, you, when you work in a remote community, you could, you could be by yourself and you could be by yourself for six weeks. If you're the, so you, you, you miss that, that, that family structure, you know, me coming to visit today is like, I work with you, I must come back and revisit because it's just about um, feeling together. Yeah. Um, I miss some services, like there's only like a small takeaway shop, which is, you know, a, a small, like an IGA that'd be tiny. Yeah. So you don't have like, oh, can you pop down the coals? No, there's no coals. Um, <laughs> you've got to get delivered, coals delivered on a barge frozen. Like I buy milk frozen so that I can have the milk I like yeah, okay. for coffee. So I've got a coffee machine. There's no cafes. Yep. Um, yeah, it's not multiple cafes. You can drive around town in seven minutes. So you do that a thousand times, you really want to get out. Of the <laughs> so like yeah. you miss you miss sort of some big city things. You miss um, the general things that everyone does. Like I like to have a drink. So I like to go and catch up at bars and have a look at ocean. I mean, I've got ocean where I am, but um, I like to have it with a beer in my hand. So sort of things like that. Yeah. Um, holidaying. You live in remote communities and they are beautiful, but you like to go and visit other places. So when I'm out of community, I visit friends, I catch up on sleep. Um, yeah. Because if you're, if you, anyone considering agency, you live on 
you live in houses with it could be a single bed, it could be a double bed, it could be a terrible bed, it could be noises outside you've never heard. So just that quietness is quite good. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I used to miss the hustle and bustle of Sydney. Now I, I can't stand the traffic. I could, <laughs> you know, if I've got to wait in line at the, you know, got to get to the airport and it's 20 k's away, I should be able to get there within 15 minutes, not, not an hour. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't miss that. <laughs> yeah, I don't miss that. So um, living and working in rural and remote, as, as you and I both know, is incredibly rewarding, but it's also really challenging at times. So how do you care for your own mental health when you're working in a rural and remote area? Over the years, it has been challenging. When I initially first started, I was literally going back and forth between remote and city really regularly because I yep. thought it was just a job. I'm getting a bit of fun out of it. I'm going to have fun both ways. Um, you know, I've been through, I assume a lot of remote nurses or people that do remote, whether there's minors and everything, they're in the same bucket. You know, I've had a divorce out of it because I've been away. Um, you lose friends, then I visit those places that they say, yeah, I'd love to visit. Yeah. Five years I've had two people, two groups of people visit. Yeah. Um, so that's, unless I've asked nurses to come and work with friends and they dip their toe in and come out, like, yeah. but they don't count because they're, they're getting, the reward is they're working and they get other rewards. So, yeah, yeah. so it's, it, it is challenging. How do, how do I do it? Um, small wins. Yeah. Doing things I've never done before, like I've, I hadn't managed before, like on, on a level that I've done before, like with that, uh, within Torres and Cape. Um, the, over time, get better at managing living in communities. That can be difficult because you don't speak the languages. Yeah. So yeah. You, you make friends, but you're the one that can't speak the language. <laughs> so, so you just, a lot of it's, um, you get, like, I've, I've had a couple of boats, like, and you know, they're dramas, but they're fun. You get out on the water. That's why I like the, the communities around the water edges because you can do fishing. You can go out um, in the big rains and have a look at the different colors and stuff like that. And, um, and getting out on the boat, you know, no one can call you. It, it might seem strange, you know, like, oh, how could you do that? You know, be away from people with access. I'm like, you get called all day when, when you're in these communities because your yeah. whole job is to Monday to Friday you work. And then you're on call on a weekend, maybe, and you might get three weekends on out of four. And it might seem excessive, but I don't do night shifts. Like, it's just on call. Yeah, yeah. Um, so getting out and about is is what you get out of it. And if you do that more regularly and you stay longer, the communities or the people accept you as neighbours, friends. Yeah. They call you up for a chat. You know, they bring their newborn kids in to say hello. You could deliver their kids and then come back a couple of years later and those kids are running around. You just oh, never know. Wow. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, that it's not uncommon for nurses to have kids named after them, even. Oh, you know, really? In communities. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Have you got any kids named after you? No, there's no, there's, <laughs> there's, there's no, there's no Geordies. There's no around. little Geordies? There's little Geordies, but I've got a lot of like adopted nieces and nephews that name me and catch up. And oh, so beautiful. It's, that's, and that's really inviting, you know, you, one of the things in Sydney is you can move into an apartment with a hundred different um, apartments 
And unless you stop and say hello to your next door neighbour for the five years, uh, you will never say hello to that next door neighbour. Yeah, okay. Whereas here, you go down to the clinic, go to work, you, you say hello to them, you know all five people there, and then you go to the house and you have dinner, and then you pick up the kids, and then you, and then you're out fishing with them, and then, um, and they're out fishing with you. Like they come over to the house and they're playing around the backyard, and you have them kick at the football, you, you play football in the local teams, you do all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Sort of immerse yourself, and then that's where you start to get this up and. Yeah, chatting with a smile on my face. Whereas initially, I was like, "That's a difficult question." But it's not <laughs> so difficult now because I, I do like it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so, what do you do on your days off? How do you fill in your time? You know, you said you're on call. You know, three weekends out of four. But yeah. what what do you do on your downtime? How do you fill that in? Uh, me personally, I oh, I definitely get some Netflix in when the <laughs> when the um, internet's running. Some places still on 3G when you go, so you, oh, okay. so you've got no internet. Some places have no mobile service, so, you, you know, you get good at watching TV, depending on how hot it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, like, your accommodation's air-conditioned, I imagine? Or, yeah, so yeah? Manningbird is quite good. They've got two- and three-bedroom houses. I've, at the moment, I've, I've got quite good accommodation. Um, I tend to... Fix up the yards, keep myself busy, yeah, okay. get the gardens going. Yeah. You know, you, you want to promote. Like I, I, I really like or love remote nursing now. So that to a point where you want to make it inviting. If a nurse comes and their first experience is a shit experience with their house, yeah. Oh, it's going to be hard, hard yeah. sale to go. This is the best job in the world. So if they can't sleep in their house or they don't feel safe, so you tend to. You know, I've got three chooks. So I get some eggs. I yep. take some eggs down to work. Yeah, okay. Because uh, I don't like eggs, but they're for other people. <laughs> but you've got chooks. I've got chooks because <laughs> you know they're fun. You know they come. You know little Betty. She's this big red one. She comes and she sits down and she likes a pat. You know, um, I've got a dog named Les. Um, what sort of dog is it? Well, where did where did Les come from? Les is like there was a a, a meta plumber. And he was looking after the dog because the dog was just uh, it just lived in the yard, so it's the council yards. And I was going to get rid of him, and I was like, "Oh, look, I'll take him on." Les is this Labrador something. He's, got, he's big like a Labrador. <laughs> he's stupid like a Labrador, but he protects like a wolf. Oh, right. So he's in the yard, and he, you know, he's king of his little yard, but he will not go out the gate for some reason. Unless I invite him out. He's safe at home. Yeah, he's very safe at home. <laughs> yeah, so you get pets and. You start to build a bit of a, a life around what you do and you know you um you catch up with other friends you know like they've got a lot of things on in the communities there's always like there's always something down at the pool or um there's always like we've got the men's shed you can go down and catch up there mm -hmm. you know there's 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 other um services in the community like teachers they take yeah. up most of the population. So if you make friends with teachers, you almost already make friends with 70 people. <laughs> Seems like there's a lot of them. So there's a lot of other people you can make, and it's just about saying hello. Like there's always a little takeaway shop in every community. Yeah. So you go down there and you say hello, and then someone will invite you over for a cup of tea or whatever. Yeah, Works no. out right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then like weekends, like, you, like if you live in the Cape, you can go to like festivals, like you're not that far from anything. Yeah. Um, so you can actually, there's a lot of stuff on, you know, you can get away pretty easily if you really want to or try to. Yeah. There's always someone driving somewhere. Yeah. So get amongst those community events while yeah. you're there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And those, th those are things you probably wouldn't normally do in your, your normal life because you're so bent up with your work and, you know, the city life driving, like you spend two hours in traffic. Well, I can be home in five minutes. Yeah. 
Yeah, dinner's on the table. You know, it's easy. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are your top three tips if someone's thinking about coming out to rural and remote? If they're coming out to visit you, what what are your top three tips? What do you think? Ah, uh, so everyone talks about having an open mind. It's it's like some things just blow. Like if anyone said to you, you'd slip on a cane toad while running to work. <laughs> I mean, that's like blown, right? That's, that's right up there. Um, so open mind. Uh, everyone, if you go to the tropics and go during build-up, everyone is in the same boat. Everyone is hot and bothered. <laughs> Just bring some extra shirts and have some oh, tips, town clothes. Town clothes? So when everyone's like, oh, how much do they need to bring? You really only need work clothes it's only a maximum 15 kilos you don't need 30 kilos worth of stuff you bring your work clothes if if you really don't like wet feet gumboots a pair of like wellies that okay. will really help because yeah. it can be deep you know you don't want to get wet um yeah and you, your town clothes so like one nice pair of clothes that you don't pull out yeah until you go back because everything you got is red because it doesn't matter it just gets dirty you dirt on it you just get red so you need one nice sort of town clothes so then yep. everyone can see you for not being a nurse and just being like a, a city and you go into town in your town clothes. In town clothes so that's yeah okay true. yeah so bring just your town clothes bring your town clothes definitely open mind and it's meant to be an adventure yeah you know like you've you've taken yourself out of your norm you've flown halfway across the country some people come from tasmania all the way to the north some people yep. go from the north yep. all the way down to tasmania you're the only one there by yourself, you know, have a chat to people, be a little bit more open and yeah, just yeah, go on that adventure. Do yeah. it, like don't go, oh, I was there for four weeks and I didn't see anything. It's it's like, you can de definitely do that. Or you can spend a hundred bucks and see more than you would have seen on any trip you've ever been on. Yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah, right, so get out and get amongst it. And yeah, Be definitely. part of the community. Be yeah, part cool. of the community, yeah. Awesome. Well, Geordie, thank you for your time. I've really appreciated um, you being, well, I appreciate you coming to visit me at my home, but, you know, being open to, to be part of the podcast. It's been really cool chatting with you today. All right. Thanks very much. Yeah. I, um, I did balk at it because I was like, who knows what she's going to ask me. <laughs> but, uh, We're not going to tell everyone I bullied you into it. No bullying. No bullying. There was smooth liquor. No. <laughs> If this has sparked your interest and you'd like some more information about this episode or perhaps how to take the leap and explore rural and remote nursing, you can contact me and check out my website, anurseoutwear.com.au or follow me on Facebook and Instagram by searching for A Nurse Outwear. Remember, like, subscribe and share them with your friends. Thank you.